Do you love the show and want another way of interacting with Chris and Andrew? On March 16th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Andrew's Coffee Chat will be hosting myself, Chris Naismith, as we hold a live Q&A to answer all of your early career questions. Be sure to join us. As always, the coffee chats are super casual. Cameras and questions are not required, but absolutely encouraged. For more information, check out the show notes below. Welcome to Looney Engineering, a Canadian software engineering podcast. I'm Andrew Clarkson, a junior software developer at Universe. And I'm Chris Naismith, a senior engineer at Hopper. Hey, Andrew, what are we going to talk about today? I think we should talk about what we're all least aiming for, what you and I do. Let's talk about remote work. Yeah. So what do you think we should uh, start with? So many things. Uh, Let's start out with the one that you're going to get into before you get to type or commit a single line of code. And let's talk about remote meeting etiquette. Yeah. So... The first thing that I find is usually a big one is uh, making sure that your audio and video is set up before joining a meeting. This is super relevant as I'm sitting here looking at my lovely new microphone. Um, It's so easy to do. Zoom has you set up so that right before you go in, you can have your sound. You shouldn't be asking people can you hear me? Can you see me? Can you see this? Yeah, we're always going to, can you see my screen? That's reasonable that you're not just like yabbering away without your screen up. But yeah, have everything set up. It's not difficult to make sure that your camera's working, that it's aimed, that you've got okay lighting. Um, I know you've got a really great setup. I'm, I'm working on it a little bit here, but like, let's talk about what your setup looks like. Yeah. So for myself personally, I use like a camera, like a DSLR as my webcam obviously completely overkill. I think you could just buy like a Logitech webcam off Amazon, but so I have my webcam and then I have two lights that are on, I have three monitors. So it's over my left monitor, my right monitor. So that way I'm lit up from both sides. And then, uh, I have a microphone again, doesn't have to be like an external microphone. It can just be like a headset microphone, whatever it is. Um, really, I just find like, to me, I don't want to use what is the default on a laptop. So don't use laptop webcam unless if you have to. Same thing with the audio, just trying to improve the quality for the calls. I've been, well, I think you and I were, (laughs) we were on a call yesterday where someone had a very poor audio quality. It was very muffled. You couldn't make out anything that was saying there was noise in the background. And, you know, sometimes you can't limit that, but. Yeah. And uh, to contrast that a little bit. Um, so I have got my MacBook camera, which is brilliant. It's, it's no DSLR, but, um, it's a pretty solid camera. Um, and I think works really well for work meetings up until just today. I had, I've been just using the microphone on the Mac. I've got one light, um, and I just have like my desk set up here. So it's nothing too crazy. You don't have to go overboard. Um, but you can see that, that range of ways that you can go with that. So you get your whole setup, you're, you're ready to go, you jump into the meeting. Um, what are we talking about when we say etiquette? Like what's being good? What's rude? Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of things, like a, a lot of rules that would apply to a phone call that you would have with, you know, a friend or family member probably apply to professional work as well. You know, eating as you're on a call, drinking, all that sort of stuff. There's a lot. Every, every chat program offers an ability to mute your mic. 
Um, I find a lot of people don't mute their microphone by default. One, it should be muted when you join the call, but two, when you're done speaking, you should mute your mic and when you want to speak, unmute it. It shouldn't just be unmuted for any random noise going on to just happen. And that goes doubly so if you've got any sort of a loud environment. You and I both have pretty walled off environments that uh, that work out a little bit better. But um, if, if you've got anything going on, noise in the background, when you hear somebody say like hot mic, it's usually because there's a lot of noise, your mic's picking up and it's just firing through and everyone can hear that. And it, it's really awful. And like you say, it's so easy to deal with. Yeah. And then something else that I would say, and some some people aren't fans of it and it depends on your workspace or not workspace, but like your, your workplace's etiquette around it is being on webcam. So I worked at a couple different places and one of them we, was very encouraging of being on webcam and the other one didn't care. Um, but for me personally, I extremely disliked working like you'd be in a zoom call with like 20 people and no one has their webcam on. It felt very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like unpersonal. Okay. Yeah. I could feel a little cold, maybe isolating. Yeah. Yeah. It, it didn't feel very connecting. I didn't feel engaged with my peers. It felt very isolating in the way that I was doing things. Um, and so, you know, I'd, I'd recommend uh, turning on a webcam. If your background is, you know, dirty or whatever, just turn on a virtual background. I think almost everyone at my place has a virtual background that they have on. Um, so I think it's a, it's a good way of being able to connect with your peers, be able to like see their faces, see their facial expressions, which is obviously huge in communication is not just what people are saying, but the way that they are saying it and presenting it. Um, and I also think it, makes it very clear when someone is engaged in the meeting, you know, are they looking at the screen slash webcam or are they sort of looking down at their phone and, you know, no different than you would have as in-person communication. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's actually interesting. Cause I, I very much felt like that when I first started where I'm working now and I was, I was like, Oh, people don't have the cameras on. But then the more I, the more I saw it, I realized it's at my workplace anyways, it's so encouraged to just, be you be whatever you're doing and some days that means you're just not on camera and that's cool and we are it's become so comfortable with that whether you camera on camera off sometimes in the middle of a meeting somebody will turn the camera off i do it too especially if you're like oh you're dealing with something real quick or maybe eating or whatever doing something that you don't really want to be on there um so i've come to that and I, i'm i'm the first one to have the camera on and and at the very beginning of all this i didn't really like it but now i'm like yeah i love to do this kind of face-to-face -face thing because i feel like it is that connection yeah um, i think you and i are very big on um socializing you know with like yes. our coworkers and people so we're probably maybe we're in the minority of wanting to be on cameras and stuff it's not so much a wanting to be on camera. I'm just like you and I are very comfortable with it. And this is where I want to speak kind of the other side of that thing too, is that don't feel that you have to, you're going to run into some companies you might hear like, Oh, we'll turn your cameras on. Or like, we want to see everyone here. You've kind of got to play to what your company is asking for. I don't think it should be required or requested. I think it should be very much whatever you're comfortable with. You don't need to be seen. You don't have to be there. I think there's certain things that definitely helps you with uh, along the way, but if you look awful today, if you don't want to be seen, if you're like, no, nah, bedhead and whatever, or the, the dirty shirt, I, I say you don't definitely don't have to. Um, it's not the only thing that makes you visible.
Hundred percent agree. Um, I also think a it, it depends on the type of meeting that you're in as well. If you're in like a big group setting, um, it's probably not as important for your webcam to be on the whole session as opposed to say like a one-on-one -on -one meeting. Um, but I also like the idea of having your meeting or like having your webcam on when you start the meeting. So most meetings, especially if it's your first one of the day, especially at the beginning of the week, um, I usually use that as an opportunity to see my coworkers, you know, shoot the shit, that kind of thing. And then once you start getting into maybe like status updates, yeah, I'll like turn off my webcam. So that way people, you know, unless if I'm speaking, probably not important that people see me. <laughs> so when it comes up to my turn, if my webcam isn't off, I will turn it on and then speak and then turn it off. And another one that I think that it is important to have your camera on and be seen is if you are presenting something to a group, uh, because it does add a lot to your presentation. Again, doesn't mean it's required, but it can definitely add a lot more when it comes to those facial expressions and kind of what's actually going on. People are going to get a little bit more, but also you're kind of that like little guy on the bottom of the screen um, while your, your presentation is full screen. So I guess a little bit of balance, give and take there. Yeah. So besides like remote meeting etiquette, um, when it comes to like remote work, something that I have found that is incredibly important is taking breaks, um, you know, outside of meetings and work, you know, when you're working remotely, unless if you're choosing to go to, um, a separate environment for remote work, um, it is very hard to sometimes either unplug, um, or knowing when is break time. Cause you're just, you know, you're at your house and you're like, oh, I'm just gonna, I'll just power through this really quick. Um, and next thing you know, you, you end up going through lunchtime. Whereas when I was in the office, you know, you would see your coworkers, they're going on lunch and you'd be like, oh, look at the time. It's, it's already noon. I should, you know, take a break and go on lunch with my coworkers. They're all going out. So I'll join them and stuff like that. Whereas yeah, working from home, you don't see your coworkers going on break the same. Yeah, there's so many benefits to remote work and working from home, but it is so easy to work too much. Yeah, and um, I think that would also lead into um, like the hours that we're working. Like, I think, you know, not just the breaks that we're taking, but also, you know, what are the hours that you're wanting to work? Are you working nine to five? Are you going to work? I know um, you're, you, have told me before that your work is pretty flexible on the hours that you're working mine as well, just because of time zones that everyone's working. Um, but I know people that'll start really early in the morning. And then instead of having like a one hour lunch, they do like a, you know, eight until 12 and then they're off from 12 to two and then they'll come back That's at two and then continue working. That's um, really interesting. I like that. Yeah. And, um, another coworker of mine, he also, um, used to start his day much earlier than everyone so that that way he could spend more time with his kids when they got home from school. He'd be able to sign off at, you know, like three o'clock or something. And it was like, yeah, you know, as long as you're getting your work done, um, all that sort of stuff, at least my company, that's all they care about. You know, you're meeting, you're making your meetings and you're getting your work done. That's all that should matter. Absolutely. And that's what I was told on day one, day two from my lead was like, um, hours, uh, work, work whenever works for you and uh, make it to your meetings and uh, get your work done. And 
I've found that I've slipped a lot on that over time because at the beginning I was like, okay, like that's it. And obviously the very beginning, it's like proving myself. and like, I've got to do all these things, but I was like, I set my hours. I'm like, I'm going to get here at this time and I'm going to be done at this time. I was really good at it. And then as I got more and more piled on my plate, I, I found that I'd spend more time working. I wasn't taking those breaks and I wasn't finishing up at the right time. And I've realized this really recently um, over the last kind of month or so. And I've made a real point to say I start at this time and I finish at this time and I take my lunch and I go for my walk and I get my workouts in and I take my breaks and I am more effective over that. I'm getting more work done. I My performance is better because I'm taking those breaks. I am working a little bit less, but I'm actually getting more done. Yeah, exactly. Because I have found this is true in most things. If you're bashing your head on a problem for too long, you're not removing yourself from that situation to think about it critically um you know you're just going through the motions you're just like oh what if i do this thing no that didn't work what if i try this what if i do this and pretty soon i i find sometimes you just go in a circle um whereas taking that time you know you've allowed yourself to have a break you know you go have a coffee and as you're having your coffee you're still thinking about it like there's no at least for me personally i have a hard time of not thinking about work so it's going to mm-hmm. be in the back of my brain um, and then when I come back, I feel like a little bit, I'm like, okay, now I can sit down and start doing this. Um, but and there's definitely, there's something there as well. in letting it settle, they say getting away from the problem and just kind of letting the synapses connect and or neurons connect or whatever, all that. I'm not a scientist, all the things that happen in your brain behind the scene, when you step away from the problem and all of a sudden you're like, wait, why didn't I see that? This is super easy. You blast it out. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, with remote work it's pretty common for you to be working with people that are outside of the same time zone that you're in. So most likely you working nine to five isn't going to be set in stone anyway, because if you're working nine to five, your coworker is three hours in front or behind you, it's going to severely limit what your overlap time is. And so if you are someone that wants to collaborate more with your peers, because maybe for us, you know, we're in Ontario, maybe our coworker is in Vancouver. Maybe we push our day if we want to, you know, attend till six or, a, you know, whatever it be. Um, but just knowing as long as you get your work done, that's fine. Um, what I find can be difficult uh, in past places though, is coworkers that don't input what their typical working hours are, um, like in calendars. So for myself, I have it set as, you know, I'm available between nine to five um, Eastern standard time. And so when someone goes to book something on my calendar, if it's outside of those hours um, or if there's another event going on, they'll be, they'll see it when they, they'll be like a conflict. Um, Do you, do you guys have something similar to that? I kind of like that. No, because I've never set such a thing. And I think it's because of the way that we work where I'm at. Um, there is very much that core time when we're all there because we are spread across the country and around the world. So there's kind of that core time when things happen. Everyone is very respectful of each other's time, which I love. But um, So do you guys just have a, an agreed upon duration in the day when meetings can be booked and nothing's typically outside of that? At least for like team meetings, maybe one-on-one or group things might be different. It's... I was going to say it's unspoken, but I've realized in planning of the most recent project that I'm on is we actually have like a project agreement and that we went through it at the beginning and we decided when should meetings be booked? What is the best time for people? And that really helped with like clarifying 
when you're going to be expected to be around. These are your specific times for stand-ups, which changed because it was a new project and we were working with new people. This is when we're going to do our retro. This is when we're going to be like, these are the times that we can have meetings. So I really liked that they put that together. Um, and then on top of that, within my smaller project team, the part uh, that we're working on, um, and I didn't realize that this was kind of a thing. I mentioned and I said, uh, when are you guys usually here? Because I don't want to blow you up when you're not. I don't want to be sending you messages before you get on. I'll, I'll, I can wait. Uh, yeah, it's Slack. I hope you don't have it on your phone, but maybe you do. But I don't want you to feel like you have to get here earlier than you do. Uh, when are you usually here? And it was like, oh, I'm here from this time to this time. Uh, sometimes not this. And then, okay, I'm here at these times. And we worked it all out. It's like, okay, we know that we're always all here between these hours. So we can book things in those times. And we will expect, not expect, but we know we're probably going to get a, a response then. Yeah. The other thing that I like about Slack, and I don't know how often you use this feature, but is uh, scheduled messages. So again, if you have working hours into your Slack um, at five o'clock, it'll, you know, snooze your notifications. Unless if you're busy, Slack already has that. It'll say, oh, you know, snoozed until 9am the next day, their time. Um, Sometimes, well, if you go into uh, Slack and you want to do a scheduled message, what's really nice is it already knows when their notifications are going to be unsnoozed and you can schedule that message for first thing their day, the next, you know, first thing in the morning for them the next day. Um, I use this semi-frequently so that way I can make sure that, you know, I want to get my thoughts out of my head at the end of my day, but it might be really late their time and I don't if they're the type of person where they're like, oh, I'll just bump onto Slack and just see if there's any messages that have happened or whatever. If it's not important, you know, send it for the next day. And then that way they they have it first thing the next morning. Cause I also am guilty of where I'll read something. I'll be, oh, I'll respond to that first thing in the morning. Then I forget. <laughs> so I would rather someone schedule it. So that way I can read it first thing in the morning and be like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll uh, respond to that right now. Slack has so many amazing features built into it to help us work remotely and to help us be effective. And that's an amazing one. I love that you can snooze your notifications, uh, the schedule messages. I absolutely use those all of the time. Reminders. I, I'm a big proponent of what you just said about I can get that out of my head. So it might be I need to get something out so it's not rolling around. As soon as I make that message and send it out, it's done. I'm good. But another one I really like is sometimes I'll see a message and it's something that I need to deal with, but I know it's not something I need to deal with right now. Right click, remind me tomorrow morning. And then you can set in your settings what time tomorrow it's going to remind you. So, so mine is when I get there and, and that works out perfectly. But what's really nice about that is I can totally forget about that now. I don't have to feel guilty that I might forget about it. It's now on a list that's automatically going to get dropped to me tomorrow morning. Hey, I was supposed to remind you about this message, about this message. Now, first thing, I can go through them all, deal with them all, send out my messages. But I didn't have to lay there at night being like, oh, I got to remember to do that or I better put it in my phone. And I do it all the time for so many things. And it just makes me so effective because things don't get dropped. But I also get my time off. I don't have to be thinking about things outside of work hours unnecessarily.
Yeah, I've used reminders in the past. I must admit, I am probably pretty bad at doing it, at least in Slack. Um, but another feature that I use it in is actually Gmail. So Gmail will let you delay an email so that it removes it from your inbox. You're never tempted to actually look at it until that time comes later. And so it'll, you know, essentially re-enter your inbox as if it just came in as an email, which I'm a, you know, another big fan of. Definitely, definitely. And I think there was actually, there's something before Gmail started doing that it was called Boomerang and it let you do that. And now that Gmail has built that in, I love it. So that leads into another one. Let's talk about the opposite of that, um, of the things you should be doing to make sure you're not overdoing it, being too connected. And this is one that I think everyone has been guilty of at some point, And a lot of people are guilty of on an ongoing basis. You've got your Slack or your emails on your phone you're getting your you're getting your notifications you're replying to them at all hours no matter what's going on you're just too available what are the problems with that and how do we correct them yeah it's it's really tough um because what i find is for myself personally if i'm wanting to take a step away from my computer but still wanting to be notified in case if there's something important that happens i want slack on my phone but at the same time I also want Slack um, during those working hours not to send me notifications, which again, you can do in the settings, um, but I find that it's a balance. And I think Slack does a really good job at it, but something that I find really hard is actually emails, at least with the Gmail app. So we use Google emails at work. Um, I, for the most part, I just wanna get email notifications during working hours. And I wish that there was a way to only have notifications during those work hours and then get them the next day. Um, unless if it's flagged as say like important or something. Um, but when it comes to Slack, I think for the most part, it's probably not necessary to have Slack on your phone. I actually was talking to my manager about this in a one-on-one -on -one, um, this week. And he told me that he deleted Slack from his phone. He didn't think that it was necessary. Um, nothing's blown up at work. There's never been a situation that he's missed. It's just been, you know, a little bit longer for him sometimes to be in the know on something, but it's never that he's never been not in the know because he didn't have Slack. Yeah, it entirely makes sense. It's one of those things you can just kind of audit and evaluate. What do you actually need? And I've done this with a lot of other things outside of work. And it's pretty incredible when you really step back and be like, how often has that actually saved the day? How often do I actually need that? I turned off email notifications on my phone years ago. Don't miss it at all. My phone sits on silent all day. I missed the odd phone call. It has not yet mattered. Um, I totally agree with Slack. I do have Slack on my phone because I have other communities as well, um, but I do have my work one muted. But a big reason why I have my Slack on there is the Outlook integration with it. So that it tells me about my meetings is very important to me because I'm really good at forgetting about meetings. And as soon as I step away from my computer, I think I've got it set up like two minutes or five minutes. It knows that. And immediately if there's an event coming up, it comes up on my phone. And I'm like, oh, got to get back to the computer. And it might be because I was at lunch. It might have been because I was out for a walk. But I know that I need to do that. So I haven't missed a meeting yet over that. Yeah. Yeah, I have the same thing where I have my meetings integrated with Slack and then Slack's on my phone. So I get the notification saying you have a meeting in 10 minutes or five minutes um, and then right when it's happening. So I think really when it comes to like setting boundaries between 
yourself and your work, um, like being too connected, I find it's, it's on a personal thing. Um, but what I would say is like, just test it out. Like nothing is permanent. So if you just delete work from your Slack, um, or sorry, <laughs> delete, <laughs> All right. delete that, your work Slack easy? from your phone. Yeah. I wish it was that easy. Uh, but yeah, try deleting your work Slack from your phone. Just see what happens. Like, do you feel worse about it? Um, I can imagine that it might cause some people anxiety because they're like, well, I, I don't have Slack 24 seven. Like what happens if I miss something? But the moment that you start realizing you're like, oh, I'm not actually missing much. You're probably going to be far better off. And then you're not going to mindlessly scroll, you know, Slack on your phone. I, I am guilty of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, beyond that, let's talk about kind of that, that middle ground. There's the making sure you're away from things, make sure you got your time off. There's being way too connected and being there all the time, both of which are, uh, or that one is definitely harmful. But what about the time that you are here, the time that you are connected, the time that you're at work, that you're doing things? How do you make the most of your time? How do you make sure that you're you're focused and you're getting things done? Yeah, for um, myself personally, I find it's identifying parts of your day that are for you. Um, you know, we, the majority of us are going to be balancing work that needs to be done with meetings. I know some people who have much more meetings than they do uh, time to get work done. Um, but for the most part, you know, you might have very, uh, distinct blocks in your day where meetings don't typically occur, especially again with time zones for myself, my nine until 11 is pretty much always open every single day because we have people that are two or three hours behind uh, my current time zone. So my nine till 11 is fairly open. So those times I try to get as much work done as possible. And then in addition to that, if there um, are times in my day where I feel I need to get work done, I don't want someone to book a meeting during this time. Um, Google Calendar will also let you book a focus time saying like, I'm using this time to focus on something. Please don't book a meeting during this time. And then it allows me to choose which parts of my day I'm wanting to focus because there's nothing worse than having 10 minutes between two meetings. You're not going to have enough time to do anything. And you're like, oh, time to go to another meeting here, half an hour here. Oh, another meeting. So that's at least something that I try to do. I love the idea of booking focus time off in your calendar. And I think people feel guilty about that because they're like, oh, if somebody knows. Well, they, they can't see your calendar. All they can see is yes or no. Are you available? Are you busy or are you not busy? I don't think it's a big deal. Maybe you're a busy guy. Maybe you got meetings going on. Maybe you're not. And it's going to make you look a little more busy. But like people aren't going to bother you then. And I think that's huge for your productivity. This might actually surprise you to uh, hear this. All of, uh, for the most part, our calendars are public, actually. Um, so you can actually see what the events in people's calendars are. Um, so if they book it up, book it off as focus time, whatever it be, you can you can see that. And so far, there has never been an issue where someone's like, "Hey, I really want to book a meeting during your focus time. Is it okay?" Most things aren't that important. Um, they'll probably just book it the next day or find some time where it works. And see that right there, it shows it's like, hey, look, I'm, I'm focusing right now and nobody should have a problem with that. So that's interesting. I need to look again. I, not that there's anything on my calendar that I'm concerned about, but uh, I don't book focus time off and I think I should. But that's another one I like on Slack is you can put the thing like I'm working right now. I'm like heads down for the next hour. Um, I think that's really good. And I've actually recommended it to other people who've had trouble focusing 
He said, like, put your slack on away. Like, what's going to happen if somebody can't get hold of you for an hour or two? Like, it's going to be okay. There's a lot of really smart people there. If they can't get hold of one, they're going to get hold of another. Yeah. And and that's actually why I have, I do it in my calendar because, and I can't remember if we've mentioned this already in the podcast, but I have my uh, Slack connected to my calendar with like a Slack app. And so when I quote, go into a meeting, whether it's like a virtual meeting or a, a focus time, it will change my status as being unavailable. So that, that way people know not to approach me. Again, my notifications would be paused, any of that sort of stuff. I'm able to, again, focus on what it be at hand, either the focus time or the meeting. Yes. Uh, I don't think we did mention that, but uh, mine does the same. And I love that because I can see if people are in meetings and then I can decide like, is this important enough that I should be poking them right now? And if not, it's like their meeting is over at this time. I can schedule a message and there you go. It goes right into that. Speaking of focusing though, let's talk about Pomodoro really quickly. This is something that I've been doing recently. Do you do this? Do you do use the Pomodoro technique? I don't use it officially, but I do something similar where I yeah. set certain blocks of time, but I'll let, I'll let Let's have you explain the Pomodoro for those okay. that wouldn't know what I it is. I think most people are really familiar or at least have heard of this. And most people are familiar with this. Pomodoro technique is you set a timer for the standard accepted time is 25 minutes. And you're supposed to have no notifications. You don't touch your phone. You don't look at Slack. You don't check your emails. You're doing the one thing that you're focusing on. And that's it. And maybe your focus is email. Maybe you're writing a really good email. But you're going to do the thing that you said you're going to do for 25 minutes. And then you're going to take a five-minute break and you're going to sit away from it. You're actually supposed to get up from your desk and maybe go for a little walk, do some push-ups, grab a drink of water, do whatever, but get away from your computer. Then you sit back down 25 minutes. You do four of those and then you take a longer break, which I think is like 15 or 20 minutes. And then you do it again. And that's one whole Pomodoro. The idea of this, and this is spoken about in all sorts of articles, studies, uh, books. There's a really great book I read that introduced me to this and some other techniques. But the whole idea is that you're focusing on things and it's not at the expense of everything else. You're booking that time to do the other things too. So it might be your next Pomodoro is focusing on other things. Maybe it's building community. Maybe it's, it's writing emails. It's whatever those other things are. But it's specifically I'm going to do this thing and then I'm going to not do it. And that's very powerful. Yeah. And I think you and I were, were talking about different time limits and how 25 minutes from the official Pomodoro can be very short for being able to focus. Like I am someone where if I'm focusing, it needs to be roughly about an hour's amount of time. And so we both talked about doubling up on our 25 minute block. So instead of 25, having 15 minutes followed by a 10 minute break. And so it's the same 25, five minute follow up, but a little bit different. Um, really, as you just mentioned, is a very clear focus time and then an ability to not focus. Yeah, and I, I do the same. And I think that's almost not specific too, because there's going to be others that as well. But as um, knowledge workers um, and specifically in software, it's difficult to get your teeth into a problem enough in 25 minutes. You need a little more time than that. But an hour is enough time to do it. And then at the end of that, whether it's 50 minutes or an hour, it's a good time to step away and take a little break. No matter how well you're doing or how bad you're doing on it, it's going to help you by stepping away from it for a little bit. Yep. Um, trying to, there was something else that I was wanting to talk about of the uh, effective use of time, but I can't remember what it was going to be. Um, 
Um, actually, there's oh, a yeah, book I do have one more thing. Um, okay. So, um, no meeting days. Do you guys have that? No meeting days? We don't do that, no. Okay. So, uh, I will start this then. So one other thing that I wanted to talk about, about being effective with your time um, that Hopper does is, well, sorry, not Hopper does. My team at Hopper does because each team is different. Uh, we have a um, calendar block out on Fridays uh, for no meetings. So it's something that our team agreed upon very early is that on Fridays, there are no meetings. And there's a couple of really good reasons for that is one, it focuses us to have, or forces us to have more time where we're being focused in meetings. So instead of having, oh, I'll just book a meeting here and I'll book a meeting there, and you know the times aren't being utilized very well. Um, but the other thing is, is it gives us an entire day of being able to focus on work that needs to be done rather than focusing on meetings in order to, you know not necessarily to, to make sure that communication like breaks down, but what it does is it forces us to improve our communication in non like uh, synchronous ways. So it, um, it's encouraged us to have improved documentation. So that way, if someone says, hey, I don't know how this works, rather than having to book a meeting to explain it, you know, you just send them a Confluence page or maybe it's a readme file, whatever it be, uh, that breaks down how something works. Um, so that's one thing that we do that allows us to focus our time. Um, I've worked at a couple different places that have various ways of doing no meetings. As mentioned, maybe it's no meetings after three o'clock, no meetings after whatever time uh, or whatever day. For us, we chose Fridays um, just because it backs on nicely to the weekend. So if you wanted to go somewhere else for the day and maybe you have a spotty internet, but you can still get your work done, um, allows you to still be able to enjoy your time and whatnot. I like that for all of those reasons. And uh, I know a lot of companies are really bad at overdoing the meetings and a lot of companies are starting to recognize that. So I like seeing that. Um, I think we've covered a lot on the connection, the, the disconnection, that sort of thing. Um, let's move on. And another one that I want to talk about is uh, your visibility. I think this is so important and I read so many articles about it. You hear about people doing things like uh, mouse jigglers so that they're always showing online or they're feeling like they've got to update Slack all the time or they always have to be super visible and super seen. And this really comes down to your manager um, and your, your culture at your company. But what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it classic senior move. I think it depends. Um, it's definitely culture, <laughs> right? Like if your manager or their manager is having this always on mentality, which is almost the, I'd say the virtual version of butts and seats. Um, if you're making it so that all of your employees have to be green on Slack at all times during working hours, you know, that's not a, at least to me, it's not an effective way to work. Um, visibility uh, for us ends up being, again, if you're responding and it's assumed that you're supposed to be working, like, you know, you have a reasonable amount of time to respond back. Um, but the other thing is, is we try to not do things through DMs, at least for the most part, we try to do it through open channels. So that way there's more visibility of the team because one, it increases a bit of knowledge share because people that, um, 
don't know about something can learn through that conversation that would have happened in a direct thread or um, someone else that you might not have known knew the answer to it can also have an opportunity to answer. Yeah, absolutely agreed. And I've actually had conversations with people where I'm like, can you just throw this out in XYZ channel? Because I know it's going to be helpful for other people as well. I, I literally want to just have this conversation, but the things that come after it, I know are going to be helpful to people. And, and I like that for showing like, hey, you're here, you're doing the things. Um, but there's a lot of different ways that you can be visible. And this was something I was very concerned at when I started. I felt like if I'm not here and people can't see me all the time, that they're just going to be like, what's this guy doing? But it's actually not the case uh, at Universe, which is really nice. They truly do judge you based on like, how are you doing? Like, what are you putting out? And that sort of thing, which I think is really great because that's, that's kind of the dream. I I don't have to always be on Slack. I like talking to everyone, so it's different for me. But for the for most people, you you don't have to always be on there. You don't always have to be in meetings. You don't always have to have your camera on. You don't have to do all these things because you're very much so um, not even judged, but like evaluated based on the work that you're getting done. Um, are you doing better than you did last quarter? Are you are you uh, advancing? Are you leveling up? Are you doing better things? Are you putting out good work? And I think that's so much more important than the little green dot on Slack, than the amount of messages, um, whether you're active, that sort of thing. Absolutely. And there's so many different things. Like there have actually been times where I just purposefully close Slack on my computer as I'm trying to get work done. Um, so you could see if I don't have a green, you know, icon next to my name on Slack, but if you're getting an email saying, I just assigned your group, you know, to review a pull request, you could probably be pretty convinced that I am working at that time. So there are obviously multiple ways of being able to track that someone is working. Not that tracking is the important thing. Really, again, the output of the work is what's important. Um, but something that I use for um, visibility, and I think most places do, not just from like engineering, but just like work being done, is using like a product tracking board like Jira. So we use Jira um, for being able to make sure that work's happening, or not work's happening, but <laughs> again, tracking the progress <laughs> of work. Um, and so sometimes I'll go in and A, I'll see what are the other teammates of mine in the same area, like the other front-end engineers, what are they working on just to see if there's anything that I can help out with if I before I pick up something else. Um, but then also being able to see like, hey, are we going to get all the work done that we were wanting to do? Are we, um, is there a lot of like front end work that's being blocked? Why is it blocked? Oh, it's related to this thing. And I think um, tools like Jira, Trello, in some ways, some of the more like product project focused ones like Monday, um, you know, they, they allow you insights into visibility and you can see how much work has Chris got done this sprint. You know, just go into Jira, go to the done column for assignee for Chris. Now you can see what he's done. Um, I find sometimes people are really bad at updating that. And if you are bad at updating it, there is no visibility on what you are working on, which is um, a lot of managers pain points with some of their direct reports is not knowing what they're doing because they're not making it visible. And I think that's a really good point is there's kind of two different sorts of visibilities. There's that 
green dot, butts in seats, that sort of thing. That's that's the bad visibility. Okay, you're here, you're not, whatever. But when it comes down to the, like, you're getting work done, yeah, update your JIRA, update your tickets, make sure your project manager and your lead know what's going on. Like, make, there's certain people that it is important that they see you. And there's really easy and good ways to do this. So your first one is keep everyone updated. That That's a big one. You've got... Things like your your stand-up meetings. You get a chance either every day. Uh, for us, it's uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, and then on those other days, we have just a text, uh, just an async. What are you doing? And you have an opportunity to do that. If you go on and you're like, oh, working on the same thing as I did yesterday. Okay, cool. What were they doing yesterday? Okay, cool. They said that again. And they go back and they go back. And it's like, that's not good. Um one Keep of my track. main points actually of standups is people that use it to be a status meeting. And I don't necessarily know like if you have enough experience to have this as an issue, mm-hmm. but when people use a standup to say, Oh, I'm working on this. And as just mentioned, like that's the point of Jira. Like Jira is a tool to see what is in progress. So if I wanted to see what you're working on, I would just go into Jira. I don't need a meeting in order for you to mm-hmm. read the Jira board to me. But what Jira or what a standup should be doing is being able to, um, again, create visibility and uh, share context into what you're working on. Like, not just like, oh, I'm working on this, but like, what is actually being worked on? Oh, I was working on this and it's taking longer than I expected because of why. You know, that part isn't covered in Jira. Why is it taking longer than expected? Or, you know, I'm blocked on this issue and I'm actually waiting on something from this backend engineer. And so I actually started working on something else. Creating that like visibility is huge. Um, And there's going to be some sort of like overlap between the different tools that you're using, you know, your like calendars and your um, Jira boards and your, you know, progress updates, standups, one-on-ones, any of that sort of stuff. There's going to be stuff that overlaps, Um, but it's just more like understanding what, something is for and making sure that you're using it appropriately. And I think that's okay because you kind of create this mesh of what the company is doing because not everyone sees everything. The, the the guy sitting beside you, so to speak, is probably not looking at specifically what you're doing in Jira, but their knowledge of what you're working on that they hear in standup is going to help with that as well. So, there's other ways on top of that. So you've got your stand-up. You can show, hey, what you're doing. You've got Jira. This is what I'm doing. Different people are going to see that. Your lead, your project manager, people that you're working with. One that I really like, and I've worked with people that have kind of been told, like, hey, you need to be a little more visible, are demos. Do you guys do demos? Yeah, we actually, for a long time, we didn't do demos. And it there was people who weren't working in areas that didn't know what was going on. (laughs) So it definitely helped for increasing knowledge share, but then also being able to take pride in the work that you're doing. You're not just like merging code and then moving on and you were able to demo it to um, like project stakeholders and whatnot. Yeah. And, and everyone else gets to see what you're building. And this is where, not just your lead or your project manager, your team sees what you're doing. This is where like the big dogs start seeing things. It's like, as I, which I think is so important to being visible. And that's not just a junior thing. That's an everyone thing because the, uh, your, your kind of upper management and, uh, and people that are a few levels ahead of you, I guess, skip levels, one, what do you call it? But 
they're seeing what you're doing and they don't have visibility into that all the time. Sure, they're going to see as things bubble up and project manager telling about what things are getting done. But now they're seeing you actually talk about it. They're putting that name to the face. They're seeing what you're building. And I think that's such a huge visibility thing because it's them, it's other people, it's other departments. It might be customer service. It might be sales. You kind of get to build like who you are as more of than just kind of the code monkey. Yeah. And for, I think demos probably provide a lot of value, the most value I think to juniors, but um, really it's, it's a way of being able to just like show what you've worked on and justify why you're getting paid what you are. Because otherwise to a lot of people that are non-technical development is like magic. They don't know the amount of effort that goes into, I've had you know, essentially like small features take way longer to do because of tech debt or whatever it be, just because, you know, basically the way that it is. Whereas something that's brand new um, isn't integrating with anything, you might have far less dependencies and you can implement it far faster. And so I've had like small things where I end up demoing it and explaining, you know, you get to have like a little bit of like story crafting of being like, oh, I was working on this and we ended up running into this sort of roadblock and then we did it this way. And, you know, you sort of tell the story of what happened while being able to demo it. And I think it gives a lot to understanding what goes on in programming and not just being like, oh, I made a button. And when you click on it, it shows this modal. It's like, you know, there, there's more to it than just the like linking stuff up because if it was that easy, we wouldn't be paid what we are to do it. Exactly. So where else can we be seen? Where else can we make sure that we're visible? Yeah. One, one thing, um, I actually have never done this. I've never worked at a company that has done this, but I interviewed for a company that does this. And one thing that they had told me is that they do this concept of live blogging. Um, so you as a big proponent of building in public, um, it's kind of almost a sister idea to that is building in private. And what they would do is as you're building in the day and it wasn't, it wasn't required, um, but they had a specific channel where people would either when they were working on something that they wanted to share, or maybe they just did it every day. It was up to the individual. Um, they would sort of like live blog in a thread in Slack, what they were working on and how they were going about doing it. And it was essentially similar to like rubber duck programming where because you were explaining what you were doing it sort of caused you to approach the problem differently because a you had something very documented of what you had tried in order to fix something or whatever it be um, but you also had to think about it more critically than just going through again the motions without thinking about why you were doing those things and uh, this was a, a vp of engineering at a company and I thought it was a really, a really interesting idea because you could start to document the process of, well, what did you do today? And when it came to, you know, stand up the next day, you could very clearly have an entire documented thread of what you did yesterday. You know, did you run into any blockers? Actually, yeah, I was integrating with the API and, you know, maybe a certain API was returning like a 500 error when you gave it a certain query parameter, whatever it be. And that ended up blocking you. And so, you know, you had to create a bug ticket or whatever it be, but 
I find that there are so many things that I run into on a daily basis where by the next morning, it's already totally out of my brain. I've already forgotten about it. It wasn't important enough to me that morning, but it was at the time. Um, but it, what was nice about it is again, if you were running into problems and you were live blogging about it, um, other people could also respond and just be like, oh, I see you're working in this area. Did you know that you should, there's this other module that you should also look at that it integrates with. You might not know that. Um, and it's a good way of having some sort of like knowledge sharing, just being able to like have diversity of thought in one area without actually having like synchronous pair programming. That's really cool. I like that. Um, I think I inadvertently do this with um, stupid questions in the development channel, <laughs> which uh, works out really well when I'm just, asking away like as i go through things it's like uh, i'm having problems with this and i might figure it out and i might not but i get that help along the way dumb questions are the best thing to ask because if <laughs> there's not i feel like for the most part there's not really dumb questions um if you have a question it's because you don't know the answer and if you don't know the answer it's probably because uh well one you probably should know the answer uh that's why you're asking it um but it hasn't been either told to you or documented somewhere so, you know, mm -hmm. being able to like have those things, we actually have a, like an FAQ document for anything that is specific to my unit of business that we're in. And so if we see like a question, we'll just like pop it in there if we think it's important enough. Yeah. And I call it dumb questions because everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, oh, yeah. I absolutely, I absolutely agree. And I love it. And I encourage it to have uh, juniors that have been there last time than me. I'm like, ask all the questions. You're not going to get tore up for it. Like if you ask the same question, like half a dozen times, yeah, they're going to be like, come on, like search. But other than that, there's, there's really not a bad question if you're trying to work things out and learn. Another one that I think is really important for being visible is your performance review. You've been working away at something. Uh, how often does your company do performance reviews? I think we do it. Ours is kind of weird. You have uh, in your first year, you have a three month review, 10 month review, and then it goes into every six months. Okay. I like that. Um, so we do every six months and I guess I don't know how the first one works if you kind of fall in there outside of the schedule, but every six months and it's a performance review, but it's also uh, very much encouraged to be a goal setting thing. So with goal setting, you're obviously going to get to look back on your past six months and did you meet your goals? Did you do the things you wanted to? So that's where your kind of performance comes in. And this leads very nicely into the brag doc. So we always want to show off what we're doing. We're able to talk about what we're doing, how great we're, we're, we are, um, what we've contributed to the business. And this is so important when it comes to that um, promotion and salary talk and getting a raise. And the, the brag doc for me was so important when I was sat down and it was kind of, I was given a document of like, here's all the kind of questions that we want to answer. Uh, performance review for us takes a, a couple weeks of kind of back and forth um, as well as my leads input and that sort of thing. But I looked at the questions and immediately, like, I was like, I got this. This is no problem because I have been maintaining a brag document at work with all of my accomplishments for the last six months. And then I was able to just sit down and like copy paste things. Like I did these things, I did these things. And as I was going back through it, I realized about three quarters of it, I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't remember. As soon as I saw it, I'm like, yeah, obviously I did that, but I would have missed them. So this was a huge part of like my visibility 
not that my lead missed any of it. I'm sure she would have been like, there's a lot of things you missed here, but she was basically able to say like, yeah, you crushed it. You did amazing. Yeah. And you know, I've had managers that have a lot of direct reports and while their job is to advocate for their direct report, they can't remember everything, right? If you can't remember everything that you have done, expecting your manager to remember everything that you have done alongside what all of your peers have done, it's going to be difficult to do. And having a brag doc doesn't have to, I wouldn't encourage it to be public for everyone to look at and just, just make it your Slack status as the link to your brag doc. So everyone can see it. Everyone have a look at me. Yeah. But having a list of wins that you've uh, done either that quarter or that review cycle, hugely important, allows you to have way more, um, way more to talk about when it comes to like a performance review and even in your like one-on-ones with your manager. Yeah. And it's a whole nother topic that I'm sure that we can get into performance reviews and brag docs. But um, just to, to add on that is um, I have a reminder weekly, every Friday afternoon, update your brag doc. And it's so easy to not, but I sit down and like, I have to think back, like, what did I do this week? And there's always one or two things that I can put in there. And at the end of six months, it builds up huge. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. I should probably actually take that advice and try to update it weekly. Um, it's easy to forget. I think this is the this is some good advice. I should uh, I should take it. All right, I love the, it. The, the junior advising the the senior. Um, so outside of just even visibility, you know, working remotely, an issue. Uh, for some would be making connections with like their coworkers. And we've talked in previous episodes about the coffee chats that you do with uh, people in your company. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you find is like, what, what is sort of the way that you go about approaching having a coffee chat with someone maybe that you haven't interacted with um, either haven't interacted with or haven't interacted with as much as say people that on your team directly Um, How do you go about doing a coffee chat with them again? It's funny because it's actually the same advice, except you kind of know these people, you're connected. So they're more likely to actually want to talk to you is when somebody new joins the team, I've started to try and do this with everyone or people come back from mat leave, that sort of thing. But I will try and do it occasionally just with people outside my team. And I send them the same message. It's, hey, I'm Andrew. I'm a software developer here. You and I haven't had a a lot of chance to speak or we haven't had any chance to speak. Um, I'd love if I could have like 15 minutes of your time. And I just want to learn a little bit more about what you do. And that might sound kind of canned. And I don't mean it to come off that way because I have a genuine interest in what these people are doing. Because if I don't, what's the point? I can sit and I can I can be head down and smash out code and that's fine. But I actually have an interest in these people and in the wider business and learning what we're doing. And I think it's very valuable to developers to do that. I think it's valuable to anyone in any company, but I spend that time and I I learn from sales or I learn from product or from quality or whatever their role is. And I'm not concerned about level. Like it doesn't always have to be someone way above you. It can be just someone new on the team. Um, somebody that's just joined and I've got a couple different things that I want to get from this for myself. And I hope that they get something out of it too, but I want to actually meet this person. Um, if you're in an office, which up until this job for me, I've always been on site. I've never had the chance to work remotely. 
So I've always had the ability to make those connections at, at the proverbial water cooler, um, over coffee, at the lunch uh, counter. I've always gotten to meet these people or they end up at my desk or I end up at theirs. There's not that up and down and that pairing and that sort of thing that happens with remote work. So you've really got to go out of your way to make it happen. Um, at least that's been what I've seen. We have some other things that go on to help that. But as a one-on-one, I get to talk to these people. Where do you come from? What did you do before? What do you do here? Like, what's your job? What What are things that you wish people, and, and some of it kind of gets feel interview feeling. What's something you wish software developers did? What What could we do to make your job a little bit easier? And it might lead to something, it might not, but you always connect with this person a little bit better, which helps the next time you need something from them, the next time they would like to ask you something, you've got a little bit of a relationship. So it's not just like that out of the blue, cold ask of something. You've actually had that conversation with them and it makes everything a little bit lighter feeling. When they jump in a meeting with you, it's like, hey, how's it going? What's going on? How's such and such? Uh, and you, you have a little bit more. I know not everyone's big on small talk and that sort of thing, but you've got a little bit of a connection with them, which is nice. Yeah. And I think some companies are better at facilitating those sort of um, impromptu sort of um, happenstance conversations that you would typically have at a water cooler. Um, I've worked at companies that use uh, Donut in Slack and that one it's opt-in, you know, you have to like say, I'm interested in doing this. And then depending on the frequency that your work has set it up, maybe it's monthly, quarterly, maybe it's bi-weekly, who knows? Um, it's can be a good way of being able to interact with people that are outside of your team or even outside of your um, area of expertise, you know, non-engineering, non-product, maybe again, customer support, whatever it be. Um, the, the other thing that can be quite nice is when you join a company is having some sort of like onboarding buddy. Um, mm-hmm. I actually, that was one thing that I didn't have with Hopper when I joined, but I know others um, have had is having someone that is in usually a different part of the, like they're not on your team, um, but they're in like a similar position as you are. So a friend of mine who joined Hopper, he uh, is a technical project manager and his onboarding buddy was a technical project manager on another team. And so that way they could have, you know, it's like the the same, same, but different, <laughs> you know, where you have similar uh, things that happen within your team, but it's different because you, you know, you're working on a different team but it was a, a good way of being able to meet someone with similar skill sets um, who already understands the company, like culture, the way that things work, stuff like that. Um, and I know he still um, has regular uh, like one-on-ones with his onboarding buddy. They still talk, they still uh, socialize about different things and it can be a really good opportunity of uh, being able to connect with someone in your company almost straight away. If, if, you have an onboarding buddy sort of um, program is trying to Mm -hmm. be a part of that. Yeah, I really like that because that's going to help people be very comfortable very quickly. Um, The Slack donut chat, when you've worked at companies that have done this? Mm -hmm. Okay. So Hopper Hopper does, uh, does. we, we use donut, yep. Okay, I'm. This is a totally selfish personal question here. I'm leading a, a very small niche of that work to start doing this. How do you do it? Like, what's the actual expectation? Is it just to sit down and have a chat with somebody, or is it a little bit bigger than that? 
Yeah, for us, it is, it's just to chat. It's just to be able to introduce to different people in the company. Um, for us, we, there's a, a channel that's specific to donuts. So when you join that channel, mm-hmm. um, it essentially signs you up to a queue. And then every, I think it's once a month, um, it will randomize the list of people and set you up. I think it does groups. I don't think it's a one-on-one. So one that I had was with two other gentlemen in the company. One was an engineer. I think the other one was a product guy. Um, maybe, maybe it doesn't really matter. Um, but it was for different areas than what I'm working on. It wasn't, they weren't front end. They weren't doing any of the like travel stuff. They were in like different parts of engineering within the company. And, uh, it was really interesting talking to them. One guy was from Toronto. Um, so if I went to the Toronto office, I'd meet him. The other one was uh, in the States. And we were just sort of talking about, uh, we talked about travel. We talked about our families because one guy was visiting his family and was in a, we use, uh, what's it, uh, WeWork. So he was mm-hmm. in a, uh, visiting a WeWork as he was visiting family. We were just talking about stuff it wasn't anything super deep it was just yeah like you know i just joined hopper three months ago oh i've been at hopper for a year and a half now and you're like oh wow like you must like it here and you know just sort of discussing our experiences and there was uh it was great unfortunately my workload ended up increasing and so i had a a, the next donut ended up conflicting with something else i wasn't able to attend it um and from there i was just like oh once my workload goes down i'll sign back up and have okay, to that. That still yeah <laughs> so yeah <laughs> you got a uh, to-do list you got some homework after this episode I do. yeah you're giving me so much to to do this episode so was there a work component of it at all or is it just the fact that they're they're trying to encourage that more casual outside of work conversation relationships yeah for us i think it was just trying to just form relationships with other people in the company um specifically hopper we use like a a single threaded ownership model and so each team is fairly isolated from other teams of course like if you have work that interacts with another team you know you're you're talking to them but it's one of those we don't have like a concept of um like some places have like guilds or like a squads framework, like uh, Spot- Spotify is pretty common for squads. this. Yeah. yeah. And so you'll have your squad, but then you might have like a guild that extends across squads. And so we have no like shared interest in being like, oh, I'm a front end engineer in this squad and I get to interact with other front end engineers in other squads. We don't have anything that's formalized like that. Um, so donuts is kind of like a way of being able to interact with people in the company that you normally wouldn't. Okay, cool. That gives me some ideas for what I'm working on. Okay. And one more, the either exciting or depending on who you are and how you feel about these things, um, terrifying and thing you want nothing to do with, uh, work events, socials online, um, in person is kind of its own, its own thing where we're doing remote in this episode. So, uh, work socials. What do you think of that? Yeah, we do work socials in my team every two weeks on Thursdays um, because, again, Fridays is no meeting. So, um, but it's a way of really, again, us being able to chat about non-work stuff with our coworkers. We have the typical, you know, Monday morning stand-up. Oh, how was your weekend? Anything interesting? Um, of course. But with us being a travel company our most recent social we were talking about 
you know, where we were wanting to travel to, where we've been and being able to talk about our experiences and stuff like that. Um, I myself had just recently come back from Mexico. So I had an opportunity of being able to talk about my two weeks there and just how much of a great time that I had. And uh, some of our other uh, coworkers who uh, were soon to be going away on vacation were talking about where they were going to and all the excitement that they had. So it was just like a great um, opportunity to do that. And then talking about, you know, personal life and their kids and their dogs and cats and all that sort of stuff. Uh, we've played games to socialize and stuff like that. We're a pretty, I'd say tight knit team. We're pretty social with each other. Um, but yeah, I am a huge fan of work events. Um, I've never been outside of like a Christmas party, which is way too much. I've never been to most like larger like monthly or like quarterly work events there's never been anything like that it's always been specifically with the core team that i'm working with okay yeah and uh it's kind of funny because i was telling somebody about this recently so we do it every friday afternoon at 4 p.m and there's a bit of a core group that shows up but more and more people are coming out to it which is really cool and it's the same kind of thing we just talk about what's going on and and trying to avoid work chat as best we can um and I really enjoy it. And everyone that's there obviously enjoys it. And I was telling somebody, I was like, show up to these things. Like, you should do that. And not somebody in my company. And they were like, you know what? Some of us at the end of the day, some of us being introverts, we are ready to go home. We do not want to talk. We have to talk to you all the time. We don't want to talk to you anymore. And I was like, you know what? Like, it, sometimes I forget, like, as the, the like, super extroverted type i'm just like hell yeah like let's talk to more people this is amazing but like some people are just like no i want no part of this so yeah i don't think it's as common to have you know the like group of co-workers going for beers after work and you know socializing and stuff um which is why i'm very thankful when they do our socials at work it is during working hours so it's encouraged to not spend your free time socializing with your coworkers. um you know, unpaid. Yeah, I like that. And, and that that's kind of what this is. Like four o'clock, it's like you're, you're probably pretty much done for the week, but it's just a drop in and half hour and whatever. And uh, I, I think it's a great visibility thing. Um, again, super, uh, super optional, but it's a small group. You maybe get to talk to some people that you might usually not. All right. Well, that has been quite the chat on remote work, something that uh, anyone who's listening to this and and isn't into the industry already, I truly hope that that's where you end up because I really think it's fantastic. Um, A lot of people listening to this that are already working remotely, I hope we've given you some tips, some things that you can work on, something actionable. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Keep in mind, March 16th, this uh, week this Thursday, depending when you're listening to this, but March 16th, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, a group that I run, Andrew's Coffee Chats, is going to be hosting my uh, co-host here, Chris. He's going to be joining me as a guest on another show that I run. It's not a recorded one. It's one that you can actually come and join and ask your questions. There's usually like 30 or 40 people show up. We kind of have like a real coffee chat. So it'll be Chris and I chatting and you're going to get the opportunity to ask us questions, more specifically Chris, because typically what I have is my guests answer the questions, but it'll be a lot more interactive. So if you really enjoyed the show and uh, you want to hang out with us, we'd really love to have you come out. We would also like to remind you to 
follow us on whatever your podcasting choice is spotify apple google or any of the other ones out there we'd also would love you to rate the show rating the show is a huge bump to us it helps us be able to uh, encourage new listeners to listen because we have that five star rating it also is a way of you being able to provide feedback to the show um, additionally to that, we encourage you to reach out to either Andrew or myself on LinkedIn. It's a great way of being able to make recommendations for future episodes, maybe have some feedback. Maybe there's something that you didn't like or something that you want us to dive deeper on. Uh, we are both very approachable. would love to have any sort of feedback that you have. Um, yeah. Any, uh, any last words, Andrew? Yeah, and we love all of the LinkedIn callouts when you're telling us that you're listening to it and and telling your your network that you're listening to the show. It, it's amazing to see. We really love the community that's building around all of this. But on top of that, um, thanks for listening.